Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Sunday Tech. I'm Blois Olson. It is Sunday, December 18th, and this is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Well, uh, it is that season. Happy first day of Hanukkah to uh, our Jewish listeners. Uh, and we are just seven days away from Christmas. So probably some shopping uh, going on as well. Uh, this week, we're going to talk to Republican leader Lisa Damoth. She's new. She has a different tone than other leaders have had in the past. And we're going to talk about what she's started to learn and feel about her relationship with Speaker Melissa Hortman and Governor Tim Walz. And then we're going to continue to kind of look at the dynamics of this early session. Up next, the take of the week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's a festive, jolly time with a bunch of new snow from Duluth, where they got 20 plus inches, to the Twin Cities, where we got five to seven, and in southern Minnesota, three to six. We're getting ready for the holidays, and it's starting to feel like St. Paul is going to operate in a different way, in a different pace. I think it's important to note that the things we're watching and looking for aren't emerging quickly. And I think that's the nature of a surprise election and second term governor. But the one or two things that people are looking at very closely are what to do with this surplus, how the social security tax cut can play out and whether or not rebate checks happen. Last week on the surplus day, I talked about an early tax bill. Well, it seems as though that might be gaining some momentum, but one of the reasons why is that local cities that had option sales taxes, they really want that revenue and they want to be able to plan for it and they need it to keep property taxes down. So therefore, there is an appetite for a tax bill early in the session. That would allow tax filings to be a little more organized for people. It would allow the governor to make his case for a rebate check, which this week, Lisa Damoth, our guest later in the show, said, what are we going to do about that? She thinks one-time money for a rebate check is okay. So it turns out that the biggest challenges for Governor Walls may be within his own party on that rebate check. Uh, absolutely, 
expect them to put some parameters around it, to put some limits on the income of those who receive it, and we'll go from there. This week, House committee rosters came out, and it became very evident just how many new members there are uh, and what those new members are going to face in these committees because Speaker Hortman has said there's not a lot of time for training wheels on this new session, and therefore we're going to start passing some things quickly. If you want to get to know the new members, we launched a new podcast this week. You can find it on Twitter and other places called Fresh 15. If you look for Morning Take on Twitter, you can find it. Uh, this week we listed the episodes, about six new, seven new freshmen there uh, that we interviewed in quick form. But those freshmen are going to have a lot of power. And we've talked a lot about the one seat in the Senate. Well, there's you know a handful, six to eight moderates in the House that could form a coalition to block more extreme pushes from the far left as well. I'm not going to name names yet, but just watch to see how that emerges. And then finally, before next week, I just want to say thanks for a great year to Sunday Take listeners and all of our followers. It's been awesome. And it was a busy, busy election year. And this is the time of year it's good to reflect. And so I'm grateful for your listenership. Uh, your feedback, your downloads, your clicks. But most of all, the idea that we have this little relationship that you give me feedback and I might not even know who you are. When we come back, what else do we have to start thinking about from policies to politics as we enter the next year? I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. The first interview this week on Sunday Take is with Allie Kaplan. She's the editor at TCB Magazine, otherwise known as Twin Cities Business. And she wrote a piece this week about something we're all talking about, which is downtown Minneapolis. But she writes about it from a different perspective, not the Twitter perspective, not the talk radio perspective, but somebody who knows Minnesota business and knows downtown Minneapolis. Allie, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, glad to have you on the TCB 100 as well, Blois. Oh, well, Allie. Yes. Thank you. Um, every once in That's a while. That's how you I'm, get on this show. That, well, you know, <laughs> you and I have known each other a long time. So <laughs> we, we can both critique each other and praise each other when, when each is deserved. Your, your Allie Talks column uh, this week said more than ideas are needed to da- to revive downtown retail. Yes. Let's just, let's just start there. Cause I hear the criticism, the kind of hopelessness, the negativity. Um, you're not all rose colored glasses here, but you're saying like, let's stop talking and let's start acting. What, what are your ideas? What do you hear when you talk to people about downtown? Well, I guess here here's what prompted the the column. You know, this new work group that uh, Mayor Fry announced this week, the Vibrant Downtown Storefronts Work Group, and I don't mean to mock the name, but it's a terrible name. Um, I just, you know, I saw this group. I saw the photo op. I saw that he was saying they're going to spend the next four months ideating. I saw that it's a lot of people 
wonderful people, really care a lot about the city, but it's a lot of the same faces that we've seen before. And I just keep thinking, I talk to so many entrepreneurs and innovators and creatives, and I just feel like there's so many people who are not being invited into this discussion who have amazing ideas, out-of-the-box ideas, new, fresh takes, and I don't understand why we aren't asking them to help. I've heard from so many agency people who say they've actually requested meetings with the city and they've, you know, not heard back. And and I just, I don't understand why we would be turning down anyone who wants to help solve what is truly a, a really enormous problem. One of the things that I keep pointing to is this is unique. This isn't unique to Minneapolis, but the the swing in Minneapolis from vibrancy to tough times, I think that pendulum swung farther in Minneapolis. And therefore, it's almost like getting knocked down and you're like, oh, how do we get back up? When you say that about action, we know, and you have followed retail in particular. I mean, there are, you know, whether it's Southdale, the uh, vacant spaces at Mall of America, the kind of refresh at Ridgedale. Um Retail goes through these cycles. What is the future of retail when you talk to people and when you think about what you've seen that works in other places? Well, I mean, I think we can look in our own backyard. We can look at the North Loop, which is, you know, somebody said to me, the North Loop looks like a Hallmark card right now. And <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, it's just, it feels so good. And it feels exactly what you want a city neighborhood shopping to be. It's unique. There are one-of-a-kind stores. There are local stores. There are nationals, but they're interesting ones that you don't see elsewhere. And I think it's that kind of magical mix along with foot traffic, along with an area that feels safe and feels well lit along with businesses. It's got all of the elements that are all um, humming along at the same time right there. Um, I think, yes, we, we have to remember that retail was troubled in the center of downtown long before the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we aren't the only city and the trends that have happened in Minneapolis happen other places. It just seems to hit us a little harder. And I think it's because it comes down to population issues and even though we hear that the number of residents downtown continues to climb, we just never quite seem to have the critical mass to support multiple shopping areas. So if all of the energy and excitement is in the North Loop, that's going to pull away from what's happening or what used to happen on Nicollet Mall. It goes all the way back to when the Mall of America opened and there was so much concern that it was going to hurt downtown Minneapolis shopping. And indeed, it did. Well, it did. So it's not just about shopping because you talk about the North Loop, which is fascinating how vibrant it is and how it has become its own destination uh, for shopping on the weekend from, for guess, guess what? People from the suburbs, people from the suburbs drive to the North Loop and shop. Who would have thought? Um, but, but it's not, it's this kind of activated space. You bring up a few different ideas which really struck with me. One is Nashville. If anybody's been to Nashville, yeah, it's about partying and music and all those things. But we have those things here too. We just don't have them concentrated the way they do on Broadway in Nashville. And your idea of tapping the knowledge of First Ave and theater folks and arts people could create a whole different vibe 
to right. parts of downtown that, by the way, have been slow and dark on weeknights or on weekday weekend nights for years. Right. I mean, I think, right. We we need to think beyond traditional retail. Just having a, a store with great clothing is not going to bring anywhere any, anyone anywhere in 2023. It needs to be experiential. And even the retail that's thriving is more about experience. And, and there's got to be something that draws you there. But if you think beyond that, what brings us out of the house? It's the opportunity to have an experience we can't get at home. Music is a perfect example. We have great music in this town. You think about what Data Frank was able to pull off for for theaters and live music during the pandemic. What about just a a small listening room that we put on Nicollet or we put in another, you know, empty spot and you had people who are testing out their their music or up and coming artists. I mean, we've got to find reasons and things that would bring people together. Maybe it's some sort of religious center right on Nicollet Mall. You know, I had one um, landlord say, how about doggy daycare? People don't (laughs) want to be away from their pets anymore. So let's bring doggy daycare downtown. You know, you just have to think about things that are going to draw people out of their houses and out of the suburbs. You dog daycare is a good idea. I I saw the pickleball uh, idea, those activation of spaces as we would call them. But I also think the way in which we have all become more tolerant to the way you get to behave in business districts and downtown. When you and I started our career, you wouldn't even think of wearing comfortable shoes downtown in the Skyway if you were an executive or anything like that. Um, But nobody would think twice, I don't think, if you had a well-behaved dog walking through the Skyway now um, because it's bring your dog to work day or whatever. You've followed retail for a long time. Retail's never going to be what it was when you started covering it. It's never going to be what it was when, when I, you know, used to have to make appointment shopping at Brooks Brothers or whatever. Um, how does retail thrive connected to these other activated places? Because sometimes they're event driven or they're, they have different hours. They have different parking needs. How have you seen it work in other cities? Well, I think one example that I that I had thrown out that people reacted to was a concept called artisan fleas. I don't know if you've ever been there, but no. it's, um, it's a it's a giant maker marketplace, and we've done versions of this on a local level. Heck, there's one happening right now at the Dayton's project. Yeah. But- Artisan Fleas has been incredibly successful in um, Chelsea Market in New York, um, in Atlanta, in Brooklyn, in LA, uh, bringing really cool, eclectic makers together, doing um, really understanding how to appeal to a millennial and Gen Z shopper. It's an experience that it sort of takes Etsy off of the internet and puts it in a building and it brings people together because they want to connect with the makers. They want to see how things are done and it draws people together. So I think there people will go for a shopping experience that feels interactive. I think those are the kind of things we need to focus on. I also mentioned Italy. 
What could yes. be, I mean, could you imagine? You know, I have imagined. <laughs> pasta heals. It brings us together. But you think about if you've been to an Italy in Chicago or New York or wherever, you know, the magic of it isn't just eating the most amazing pasta. It's the whole experience. You want to smell it. You want to touch it. You want to buy. You want to just be there. And those are the kinds of experiences we need to be thinking about for Minneapolis. I truly have imagined Italy in downtown Minneapolis since I went to the Chicago one and the LA one. And as they were doing the Dayton's project, obviously that was one of the concepts. And obviously there's some economic challenges there. But when you have some force like that, um, that comes in, it then attracts those other pieces. Back to your point about makers. You know, look, this is Sunday take. It's usually about politics. But it's also about economies. And you know that whether it's the makers or the side hustle or whatever, there is this whole new economy or different economy than 15, 20 years ago around makers. Describe what it is, because I will tell you this. In um, Scottsdale, when I was there with um, my daughter uh, touring colleges, um, and then uh, I was somewhere else uh that oh it was at one of the college tours they actually had makers mall on friday afternoon and all the colleges and the quality of products was impressive and so you're breeding these little entrepreneurial ventures and let's just say the kids are into it too so talk about makers because there is a makers there are a few of them around town like at rosedale Oh, yeah. I mean, we have amazing makers. And 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 again, I mean, the, the holiday pop-ups that are happening right now around town, whether it's, you know, uh, Malcolm Yards or the Dayton's Project, those are all makers. I mean, it's kind of become a catch-all term to describe people who are actually connected to their work, people who are, you know, behind the brand, sole proprietors, independent, smaller companies where they really are, um, they're, they're making the goods. They're not shipping it off to China. Um, but there are a million examples and there are some that become larger companies as well. And I, I think what we need to think about is the next generation of shoppers, the next generation of workers for downtown, they are not driven by mass market merchandise. They care very much about the purpose behind a company. They care very much about the environment, which is why I bring up vintage and sustainability. Um, they're really thoughtful, purpose-driven shoppers. It's not just that they can get it off the internet. It's that they care very much about how things are made, where they're made. And we need to be thinking about that as we look to, to fill store. It's not just a matter of filling a storefront with the next, you know, maker of jeans. I mean, it's got to be something that's going to be an experience that can drive people and motivate people if we want it to be sustainable. Allie Kaplan, I know that uh, you're busy this time of year, so I appreciate you joining me on Sunday Take. And I, I want to stay connected on this because we often talk to the same people about downtown, and I think it's important that we do bring other voices in. So as you have those voices, let us know. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. When we come back, Lisa Damoth, she's the new Republican leader in the House. She's thought she might be in the majority, but she's in the minority. We'll learn about her and what she sees for a different tone of this upcoming legislative session. I'm Blois Olson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. My final guest today on Sunday Take is Representative Lisa Damoth. She is the new Republican leader in the House. 
and it's her first time on Sunday Take. So welcome to Sunday Take, Leader. Thank you, Blois. Very good to be here with you. Just so people know, you're, you haven't been a high-profile member of the legislature before, but you obviously your profile will increase now. Tell people a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and why you decided to run for the legislature a few years back. Yeah. Uh, my name is Lisa Damoth, and I am from Cold Spring. I have the honor of serving District 13A, and I am going into my third term in the Minnesota House. Um, I have my husband, four children, um, their spouses, and six grandchildren. I'm a small business owner, and I first got into um, not necessarily politics, but as an elected official when I was elected through a writing campaign for the Recori School Board back in 2007. And that's something I didn't ever anticipate doing, but there was an open seat and I thought it needed to be filled. And so I ran and I served for 11 years on the school board. What that taught me was the importance of community involvement, how our decisions at a school board level could affect our businesses, our families, definitely student outcome and student achievement, and uh, the families, the staff that we were working with, I had an opportunity to learn how best to listen to people, how to make the best decisions with the information at the time that would affect in a positive way the, the most people. Uh, that's first how I got into as an elected official. 2018 came around and my then representative Jeff Howe, now Senator Jeff Howe, who I didn't know, but they were looking um, for someone as he was going to be running for an open Senate seat. He contacted me and said, hey, have you ever thought of running for the House of Representatives? I said, no, <laughs> it's actually never crossed my mind. Through conversations, learning a little bit more about it, knowing my school board term was going to be ending, I decided to put my name in. And that was the um, election cycle of 18. I was elected um, and started serving in 19. And one, you say you have a small business. What kind of business uh, do you um, we have? Yeah, we own a commercial property and I do the property management for that. We have three tenants in that area. And then um, even though I am not directly involved in the business that my husband is a co-owner of, when you're a family-owned business, everyone is involved. So I'm not directly involved with, with that manufacturing company, but yet um, throughout our entire marriage, I've been um, very aware of what goes on there and uh, just not involved in the day-to-day, -day, but really proud of that company. Makes sense. I, as a small business owner, I, my, even my kids understand and are a part of the business, whether they want to be or not. So I certainly understand. Yes. That. Yes. And, you know, all four of our children had an opportunity at different points um, to work for the company. And one of the things that we really stressed with them was if they were going to have the opportunity to work, even though they were one of the owner's children, they had to work harder in the, in the position that they had than anyone else because we didn't want anyone to think that they were just given that opportunity because they needed to do the work. And that was really important. Um, they're looking at a next-gen takeover and our son is directly involved in that and has been working for the company full-time for a number of years. Got it. Um, last question about the past and then we'll start to look at the future. My guest is Lisa Damoth. She's the Republican leader in the House uh, going into the new, new session, next session. Um, running a writing campaign for school board, was there one or two issues that 
motivated you? Because writing campaigns are are not often successful, uh, and they are also, you know, usually inspired by uh, something that really you want to make sure gets out there. You know, when I look back at that time, what motivated me to run as a write-in for my school board was the fact that there were three seats up for election, one incumbent had filed, and the other two no one had filed for. And when I realized that, I just thought, this is so important. This matters to our kids. It matters to our community. Why didn't somebody step up? And so I actually tore the article out of the paper and left it for my husband. I said, hey, you need to do this. And he just, he, he said, there's no way. I would never do that. You do it. And so I right away said, well, I can't do it. And his question was, well, why not? And that's what motivated me. So it wasn't, it wasn't just an issue that I was going, that I was either against something or, you know, I had um, something that needed to be changed. I just saw an open area to serve in something that was very, very important to our community. So I dug in, learned what I needed to learn, um, worked hard during those 11 years. We successfully, after a number of failed attempts prior to my being on the board, we successfully passed a needed bonding referendum at the time uh, yep. to uh, $29 million um, where we, we um, added on a middle school area. We re- revamped older buildings, um, kind of a new uh, kitchen, dining, commons facility, um, and a number of things. And so that was something that was um, very much needed. It wasn't more than what was needed, but it served the need with the area that we could expand should the, the future years need it. So um, I just, I saw an opportunity to serve. I wasn't coming in with an agenda or a chip other than wanting to just serve my community. And that's what I've also done in the legislature. I want to serve my community. Obviously, I've won three terms. But like I've said back with my constituents, whether you voted for me or not, I'm 100% your representative and I am there to serve you. We may not always agree, but I'm there to listen and to, and to serve you. As we look ahead um, and you assume the leader role of a caucus that expected to be in the majority uh, is in the minority by six seats, but really um, in general, there's kind of a, you know, which often happens after elections that are disappointing, kind of a hand-wringing of where do we go um, as a party, as a caucus, those kinds of things. When you've talked to your members, uh, the new ones uh, and the returning ones, are there things that as a caucus you feel like you need to focus on differently or you talked about being a listener, uh, things you've heard from members that you really want to make sure get highlighted going forward? You know, we are in a different position than we thought we would be. And thinking we were going to be in the majority and we're not, what that did is on election night, I just thought, you know, something, what can we change? What can we do differently? But yet those areas, Blois, that we had campaigned on, um, tax relief and public safety, education for our kids, those were a lot of times brought up by both sides on the campaign trail. Um, issues that needed to be fixed and we need to work on for Minnesotans. And so that's what we are taking in with us as the next session begins in January is those things that still matter to Minnesotans. One of the things that's very important to me is that all 64 of us in our caucus, we each have an area that we represent and we have a voice to bring. And so I want to work with all of that, finding ways that we can bring some of those important things 
uh, forward, finding ways that we can work with the with the Democrat majority um, on areas that we may be able to find agreement, but then the areas that we are not going to find agreement, uh, we'll also talk about those too. But I just look at it as an opportunity to kind of not sit back and just wait, but dig in and find out how we can best serve Minnesota. What is your relationship been with Speaker Melissa Hortman? Um, have you guys talked much since you became the leader? And um, I, and I think this is the first time that two women have been leaders in the House together. Now, I don't oftentimes just shine a light on that to shine a light on it. But, you know, at 50 years old, I've learned that sometimes women have a little different approach and a little different tone to solving problems. Um, I have respect for uh, Speaker Hortman. My first couple of conversations um, went back a couple of years ago when I was asked to be on the Select Committee for Racial Justice. And I had some questions and a conversation with her at that time. And I, I felt like we heard each other. And then now moving forward, I've had the opportunity to uh, sit down and have face-to-face -face meeting with her. We've had a couple of good phone conversations also. Um, and we want to find ways that we can work together. I mean, you know politics. We are going to be um, agreeable where maybe not everybody gets to know that, you know, because people don't tune in yep. um, in that respect. And then, you know, areas that we disagree, we're going to definitely disagree. But I think that can be done in a respectful way. And we can find common ground to work together. You know, as far as your comment about, you know, having two, two women leading, if it's never been done, then nobody has anything to compare it with. But I would say, you know, <laughs> tune in and watch because it is going to have potentially a different feel. But yet we have 134 members that are going to bring uniqueness to that chamber. You recently met with Governor Walls. Had you interacted with him before and any insights of as you've watched him govern govern the last four years that you brought to that meeting? You know, I have met him just on occasion in the past. This was my first opportunity to sit down and to have a conversation. And I believe that conversation went well. Um, there, again, are going to be those things that we're going to possibly have some, some agreement on. There's definitely going to be areas that we see differently, but we both made a commitment when possible to work together. And again, in that that measured, moderate, and respectful way, I think we can do that. I have not agreed with all of his decisions over the last four years. Um, that also can inform some, some measures going forward. But here we are, we're going into two, uh, 2023. It's a new year and we have to serve Minnesotans well. As we start to wrap up here, um, my guest is Lisa Damoth. She's a state representative. She's the Republican leader in the House. Uh, obviously, um, there's a $17.6 billion budget surplus. And so many um, so many people sit back and try to think about what could we do with that money? Uh, what, what can we spend it on? Where can tax break, breaks come? What's the, A, what are you hearing from your, your members of your caucus? Uh, and then B, when do you guys kind of, do the work to decide and outline your own vision or plan that maybe, you know, contrasts or counters the governor, the DFL plan? Uh, those things that we campaigned on, uh, meaningful tax cuts. The first one that comes top of mind is um, ending the tax on social, social security. 
And that's a full repeal of that in our mind. Those people that are being taxed on their social security have already paid that tax once. They should not be paying it again. That's an area that we would like to focus on. Again, investments into public safety are going to be important. As a caucus, we have already had some discussions on what our priorities are, where we want to focus. Those are ongoing discussions, but we are also waiting to see what, um, what policies and bills are going to be coming through from the DFL to know where they are on those different issues. Um, you talked about schools being on a school board. Education, I thought and said and continue to say was, I thought going to be a top three issue in the campaign, but the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade kind of changed the dynamics of the last election. As a school board member from a district who understands funding and challenges and the lack of uh, full funding, where do you see the opportunity either to, to work with the DFL or to highlight things that, you know, maybe education needs from a, from a greater Minnesota perspective? I have six school districts that I represent within District 13A. And there are challenges all the way across the state in every district unique to those areas. But I have um, definitely one of my districts that is one of the lower, um, on the lower tier of funding just because of the makeup of their district. So Blois, when we look at maybe just putting more money onto the formula, what that does for the, this particular district, it just widens the gap between our metro schools and the funding they receive and this smaller district. So I think we need to creatively look at how we're funding schools. You know, you hear that term, fully fund education. Nobody's willing to really define that right. or put a dollar amount on that. So I think that's just nice to hear. But what I do know is when our kids are, their achievement, reading, math, those test scores are going down. We can't just try to cover over that. We actually need to meet the needs of those students in a way that's going to bring their test scores, their achievement up and especially then with our kids, our minority kids, where you look at that achievement gap, we can't just continue doing things the way we've done it. So throwing more money on a system that is maybe not working in the best way right now isn't the answer. But yet from a, school, a former school board member perspective, I do understand the pressure that is put on those districts too. A leader, uh, Representative Lisa Damoth, the Republican leader in the house. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you very much, Blaise. Great to have a conversation with you. I know we'll talk a lot down the line, but when it's Sunday on WCCO at nine, it's Sunday Take. I'll be on all week with uh, Vanita at 620, Monday through Thursday, and you can always follow along. Subscribe to our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. I'm Blaise. This is Sunday Take. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.